0: Thank you to Contentful for supporting our podcast. I'm Marcela Lewin, and this is the Headless Creator Podcast, Season 1, Episode 29. So let's get to it. and welcome to Season 1, Episode 29 of the Headless Creator Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, web developers, creators, and other professionals who are using a headless CMS and other related headless technologies for omni-channel content delivery. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a senior content solutions architect focused on content modeling, content architecting, and headless CMS implementations. Today, I'll be chatting all about DevOps, what it is and why you should know more about it with my guest, Vic Fan, a DevOps engineer who is also known as the king of documentation by his colleagues. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles all focused on creating websites, web apps, and IoT apps using headless technologies, please visit www.headlesscreator.com. All right, Vic, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Marcelo. This is a great honor.
0: I love having you here. We've known each other for a long long time in fact i think we met each other way back in a previous life when we were both doing comic books right you were illustrating and i was doing some writing and i think we had panel discussion that's where we met right
1: yeah that's when we were connected
0: and that's crazy that just seems like a lifetime ago yeah <laughs> totally right <But> man <laughs> yeah, time, time flies <laughs> i know right crazy right. but hey i'm glad to have you here Besides comics, you're a big technology guy and you're big into DevOps, and that's why I thought it would be great to have you here and tell us what really what DevOps is and why that's important for developers to really understand that. But before we get started, give us a background after your comic book stuff. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't have the most traditional path to technology. I fell into it when I was working at the studios. People just assumed I was good at technology. So I fell into it. But I've been doing IT specifically for the last 14 years, network engineering for the last five. And then two years ago, I fell into DevOps and I fell in love with it. And I've been there ever since.
0: How did you fall into it? And why is it that you love it so much?
1: Well, I was working at a company and what we did uh, a software company on the West side. And what we did is we made all the websites and live streaming for the major sport league. So MLB, NFL, UEFA, etc. And the senior vice president of technology came to me one day and she's like, well, we know we hired you as a network engineer, but you're totally killing it and it's really easy for you. And you know how to program, have you ever considered doing DevOps? And I told her, let me Google what the heck that is and get back to you. So I Googled it and immediately I just fell in love because it was a job that, tied all my skills together, people skills, my soft skills, my people skills, my ability to program, my ability to understand you know, systems administration, so that side of things. And also what my networking, creating IPs, what have you. And I'm like, yeah, this is perfect for me. I came back, I said, yes. And then she hired a director of DevOps to train me.
0: That's awesome, man. What a great opportunity. So why don't we jump in and let's start talking about DevOps. Like, what is DevOps?
1: DevOps is, I mean, there's so many definitions and everybody you ask and the day you ask them on, it's going to be a different definition. But personally, to me, DevOps is a cultural phenomenon. It's a culture of becoming more efficient with delivering code. But on top of that, it's a culture of sharing knowledge and resources and good times with all the developers and everybody who's underneath that roof.
0: So how is DevOps different from, let's say, the Agile methodology?
1: Well, the, the Agile methodology, you know, which was awesome, where I use, we, we all use it. We still use Agile, but DevOps is a little different because With Agile, you have your cycles, right? You have your your sprints, what have you. With DevOps, what we want to do is instead of just like living on sprints, we want to continuously deploy the code into production. So it's uh, more active than than Agile.
0: I see. So there, it's not, uh, there aren't all these dividing phases.
1: Yeah, exactly. We want to go as live as we can. Got
0: it. Meaning continuous, obviously. Yeah. So what specifically, from the technical perspective, should developers know about DevOps?
1: Definitely, they should know that their code is going to be checked in, right? And then their code is going to be tested. And then anything that doesn't look right is going to go right back to them. So it keeps like a continuous circle going to make the delivery process a lot more smooth and fast, short.
0: Now, so... When a developer checks in code, is this being checked by machine or is it being checked by a DevOps engineer?
1: It's being checked into the whatever like version control system you're using. It's probably the most popular one. So it's being checked into that, right? And then the DevOps guy would see it. And then it'll be unit tested, integration tested, what have you. If it passes, then it'll move on to stage. If it doesn't pass, then it goes back to developer for more work.
0: I see. So there is an actual human doing the testing there, obviously with yeah. uh, with Software and tools, but yeah, got it. So let's talk about some tools. What are some popular DevOps tools that people should be aware of?
1: Number one is AWS. So that's like the number one cloud that all the DevOps guys use, or primarily software companies use AWS. Azure's catch, catching up, but it's still like a long second place. So primarily that, and then Jenkins, which is the CI/CD platform, is a free one that um, all the DevOps guys love. I mean, I, there's other ones too that I have to learn as well, but that's the big one. And see what else Git gets the big one too. I know there's Bitbucket out there, but it's definitely the number one. And then Bash, like you have to be a ninja at Bash in order to do DevOps.
0: Why AWS? Why is that so popular versus, let's say, like you mentioned, Azure or other cloud companies?
1: I believe, well, I'm working with AWS and, you know, I'm certified in it. I believe AWS, like because it is developed by developers for developers, they just thought of everything that we would need in order to deploy code into production a lot faster, a lot easier. So it's like its own infrastructure that has every tool that you would need and they all tie in together perfectly.
0: I see. So they offer more variety of tools for the, uh, strictly focus on the developer. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you can give me some more details on the different phases of DevOps, uh, guide us through the all the Phases and what are some of the tools in to each of those phases?
1: I mean, if you ask somebody, like, there's going to be different answers for all this, but like, the only phases I really think of when I do the, my job is I think about the, you know, the software deployment phases. So, dev, stage, and production. So, the same ones that the developers are tied up in, I'm, those are the ones I'm tied up in as well.
0: I see. And so, what are some of the benefits of doing DevOps versus not doing it?
1: Well, uh, definitely having. DevOps there in any software company makes life a lot easier for everybody. It is a financial investment, definitely. But having someone there that actually understands the entire pipeline and the entire infrastructure and architecture of the product just makes the flow go a lot smoother. Because for most part, developers, they tend to just focus on what they have to do or what the specific projects they're on. They don't really look at the macro perspective of it, right? Unless they're an architect, obviously, but for most part, they're not. But having a DevOps guy there helps move that process along way better, way faster, less errors.
0: Because that DevOps person has sort of a bigger picture seeing seeing the entire pipeline. Exactly. Yeah. Now, with every benefit, there's always challenges. Can you tell us some challenges about DevOps?
1: Yeah, there's always going to be security challenges. That's the number one thing that you run into a lot because you want to deliver software as fast as you can, but you need to have security in play. So obviously having security there is always going to be a certain barrier. So you have to be really not creative, not inventive, but like very rugged in your approach towards security. So make sure that the developers and yourself have the right security to get the job done without overdoing it. And there's no one formula for this. It's, it's definitely a fill-out process.
0: So give me an example of what you mean by security. Like what can go wrong if the security is is incorrectly set up?
1: Yeah. So for example, if you have like a junior developer who doesn't really understand his position yet and is still learning his position, giving him full access to the entire backend is not a good idea because he could completely destroy the backend just out of inexperience, right? And then you have to revert back to your last version controls backup, you know, but that happens. So that's why you want to make sure he has just the right security in AWS to do his job.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like DevOps, most of it is going to be in the cloud, Right Now, what about companies that really don't want to use the cloud, let's say, for security reasons, or they work with some information that requires more privacy?
1: Data centers are still a viable option. I've worked with, you know, I've contracted a lot of DevOps. I've worked with a lot of companies that still use on-prem, on-site data centers, and it's, it can still get their job done. Definitely having cloud, though, it just moves a lot faster.
0: Right, because of all the tools you mentioned that they already have.
1: Right. Right.
0: Now, let's say a company is doing a lot of software development, but they don't have any DevOps in place. How can they start implementing DevOps?
1: The best way to go about it, because most you know most DevOps guys they, they are developers themselves, is uh you start training your developers to start thinking more like DevOps, and I think that's where the market's going now. A lot of companies, I mean, they're still hiring DevOps people like crazy. But a lot of people are are just going with training the developers and those philosophies. So exposing them to the big picture, right? The the entire pipeline and getting them to understand how everything works from the beginning from dev, right? When they, they all plan everything all the way to production.
0: I see. And what are some good resources that you can think of for people to learn more about DevOps?
1: AWS, if you go on their website, they pretty much give all that training away for free because they want people to implement this and obviously use their solutions. But there's a lot of organizations out there that there's a DevOps Institute, there's DevOps.com. There's so much out there that's free and anybody can learn.
0: Got it, yeah. And those are the resources you use, right? And you're working full-time in this, so.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, Definitely. Well, let's get into a little bit more of the details here. Let's talk about continuous delivery, continuous deployment and continuous integration. Tell us what each of those are and how are they different from each other if they
1: are? Right. Well, um, you always have continuous integration. That's the first part of it. So that's, you know, you have separate developers doing their own thing, working on their parts of the project, and then they check in their code. And continuous integration will build that code and try to integrate it to see if it works together perfectly, right? So they don't go off on a tangent. And then, you know, if it passes all the tests, right, it'll, it'll hit them with all the tests, the integration tests, the unit tests, what have you. And if it passes all the tests, then it'll move on to the next stage. If it doesn't, then the report will be sent back to the developers so they can continue working.
0: So let's take continuous integration for a second and take it a step at a time. So the developers are working, each of them are working on their own functionality, whatever that may be. Each of them will check in their code into Git. Is there some sort of automated script that sends it somewhere? What happens after it's checked into Git?
1: Yeah, so it's checked into Git, but Jenkins will will take care of everything. So um, when it gets checked in to get, there's going to be a, a script in Jenkins written Groovy that will push it to all the tests, right? The, to the unit tests, to the uh, integration tests that are written by the QA guys, our, our good old friends in QA. And then that's where it'll build the code and then it'll either pass or it won't pass. And if it doesn't pass, then it'll go back.
0: I see. So once it's checked in, there's it senses an event, triggers an event that Jenkins yep. then runs scripts against all the tests that were written by QA people. And right. what passes moves forward. What doesn't pass is kicked back to the developer, I guess, via some sort of messaging.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, Slack. Or something. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. Now, when it passes, where does it go to?
1: Then it'll go to the next stage, right? There's uh, So that's dev, and then it'll go to staging, right? And then uh, it'll be worked on more with the developers because then they have to get it primed for the production. Environment and it'll be QA'd like crazy over there, and then it'll be checked in again. And this is continuous delivery. So, continuous delivery, what that does it's pretty much the same process. It automatically takes the checked in code from staging and then delivers it to a point where now we need a final person to come in and deploy it. So, that's the difference between continuous delivery and continuous deployment. With continuous delivery, it's, if everything passes and automatically takes the code and puts into staging, if it doesn't pass, it pushes back. With continuous deployment, it'll automatically take the code that passes everything all the way to production.
0: I see. Okay, so deployment is the final piece, basically. Once you passed everything, so you go continuous integration, continuous delivery, and finally continuous deployment.
1: Well, continuous delivery and continuous deployment are actually two separate things. Mm. With continuous delivery, you need a person there to push into production, and that person would be me. With continuous deployment, it automatically goes to production all the way. You no longer need a person there. So it's Uh, like a philosophy difference. Got it, got it,
0: got it. So delivery, there's a person involved, deployment, there's no person who's more automated, but so they're both similar paths. Just one is automated and one isn't. Exactly. I see. Okay. So really you have continuous integration and continuous delivery or continuous deployment.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's 100% correct.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So we're going to get into, you mentioned Jenkins and all that. So we're going to get into the tools in just a minute so you can describe Mm -hmm. them a little bit more. But what is the role of configuration management in DevOps? And explain what configuration management really means.
1: Yeah, so all it really is, just, you know, it's a tool where you enter your declarative language, right? You know, YAML is probably the biggest one, and you pretty much describe ahead of time what you want the infrastructure to look like, and it'll deploy it for you. And it's a awesome tool because then if you need to scale up your application, say like you know, like uh, you, you realize, oh my gosh, like as we're going towards production, we don't have enough VMs to make this application run smoothly, then you could just update your your, your YAML file and it'll deploy the resources you need.
0: So can you give an example of when you say create the configuration for your system, can you give some examples?
1: Yeah. So like uh, in AWS, for example, if you need like, you, you have your VMs and you already know like what resources you want committed to those VMs, you could write your script, your YAML script to say, okay, this is what I want it to look like because it's what load my application is going to take, and then you deploy it, and then it'll create the environment for your developers to start doing their thing in.
0: Got it, so it creates the infrastructure, basically, for the developers. Exactly.
1: I see. All the, yeah, all the stuff that they really don't like to think about, like subnetting and stuff like that, you do it that through configuration management.
0: Right, so that way the developers can focus on the code and not what it requires to run that code. Exactly. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And normally, before DevOps, a developer was pretty much doing that too, right?
1: Yeah, before DevOps came around, there'd be one developer who do the short stick, <laughs> short straw, and had to do all the the networking right. portion, the the infrastructure portion. And devs usually don't like that.
0: Right, right. No, that makes total sense. So, what is continuous monitoring then?
1: So, what continuous monitoring is, you know, it's a bunch of tools that monitor your application lifetime. When I usually set it up, I usually set up to monitor the APIs in lifetime to make sure there's no failure. If there's a failure, then we do circuit breaker methodology and fall back to another API.
0: Oh, I see. So there would be like uh, multiple versions of that API where if one fails, it goes to the next. Yeah, I see. So it's literally live monitoring. That you probably have some sort of dashboard or something?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, Grafana is huge. Nagios is huge. Those are ones we, we typically use for it. And then it also has webhooks tied into it. So even though you're monitoring it in live time, if it, there's any alert whatsoever, it goes right. to all the right people right then and there to react.
0: I see. Man, I don't envy the job of the DevOps. It sounds like you could never go to sleep.
1: Yeah, um, it definitely works well, my personality, because I don't really sleep anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like it's a high pressure job, right? Because uh, like it says, it's the development operations, right? Yeah. So that's got to be running 24-7, basically. So I would imagine just since you're a networking guy, DevOps people only hear when things are down, not when things are running smoothly. I would just like networking people, right?
1: Well, we're still dev too. So we're on both sides of it. So it. Uh, we're, yeah, if it's running smoothly, we get the props You too, still get the props. Cool. Okay, that's yeah. good. That's
0: good. Because I know with networking people, I always feel for them because they work so hard <laughs> and they only hear when things are down, never when things are running smoothly.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's typical ops, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally, Yeah. So many people talk about infrastructure as code. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, so that's a pretty cool concept. So what that is, the tools for that is Terraform and CloudFormation. And that's you could map out your entire infrastructure ahead of time and write it on code and deploy it. And the cool thing about it is, is that you don't have to do any like procedural programming to do it. You Terraform it. You tell it exactly what you want it to look like, and it'll do all that programming for you.
0: So you almost build it visually, and then it writes the code for you, basically?
1: Yeah, Well, I mean, I mean it's still a declarative language. Right. So you would say, you know, I want two Linux VMs over here. I want three Linux VMs over here. And the cool thing about configuration code, at least on the Terraform side, is multi-cloud. So you could do it across, say you do have AWS and Azure and Google Cloud Platform for all your services. You could write one script in Terraform, and it'll do all of them.
0: So infrastructure as code, uh, I guess one of the benefits that I'm hearing is that if something goes wrong and you need to rebuild, you're just rerunning the code as opposed to manually rebuilding everything.
1: Yeah, because when you deploy it, it saves the state. And then you could just go in and change whatever you need to change, and it'll still remember the old state and it'll just make the difference, sort of like versioning.
0: Right, right, right. It makes a lot of sense. And I think there's something similar that we're trying to do with content, which is content as code, is being able to create uh, content models, content model changes, and even the insertion of content all as code. So it moves along the phases of code pushes because you may be creating specific features In code, that require also some content, but can't be live until that code is live. So we're trying to treat content as code as well. So it seems like it's a similar philosophy.
1: Yeah, and it seems like everything's moving that way, just because it's so much more efficient.
0: Completely agree. Yep, definitely. So you mentioned Git. So obviously that's version control. What is the role of Git in DevOps and also beyond Git? is Are there any other uh, version control systems?
1: Yeah, so Git saves your butt, pretty much. <laughs> so we use it in DevOps the same way we use it in Dev. It's for code check-in and the code commits and... You know, merging branches, what have you. But there are definitely other ones. There's Bitbucket, which is another big one, just not as popular.
0: Do you use Git also to store all your infrastructure as code, as we just mentioned, configuration files, all of that as well?
1: Yes, you can. You could check all that in to Git as well. I do.
0: All right, let's get into a little bit more of the details. You mentioned a lot of tools before, so I just want to get a little bit of an overview of each of these tools so people understand better. But what is Jenkins and how do you use it in DevOps?
1: So Jenkins is a, a free... CI C D tool that's built in Java. And the way we use it for in DevOps is that we set up our entire pipeline inside of Jenkins. We write it all inside of a Groovy script that tells Jenkins where all the repos are, you know, what we want to do when the code is checked in, where all the tests are, what we want to do against the test. And we use Jenkins to get the code all the way from, from the dev to the staging and then eventually to production.
0: So Jenkins focuses on the CI C D portion of DevOps. Exactly. Got it. So where does Selenium come in?
1: Selenium is uh is QA. That's that's all testing.
0: I see. So you write the scripts to go ahead and Jenkins to push things into, but then Jenkins would I guess run the Selenium scripts, or Selenium would run those scripts for testing.
1: Right, right. And that's QA guys would take care of all of that for you. They they write it all up. JavaScript. I see.
0: What about Docker?
1: So, uh, you know, there's a new philosophy, or not new, it's been around for a while, but more companies are moving towards it. So back when you and I were still young, the way that people programmed everything was monolithic. They would have thousands, if not millions, lines of code, and it only existed in one place. And that's very, very, very dangerous. So the way that people do applications now is called containerization, microservices. So instead of having your code be this gigantic, millions-of-line, one-place-only architecture, the way that people like to do it now, which is a lot more agile, is that you do microservices. So you just write specific services in these little containers in Docker. And what Docker does is that you could package your entire application into a Docker container, and you could ship that container to other people if they need to work on it as well. So they always have the same environment, they always have the same resources.
0: I see. So it includes everything they need, including whatever OS is required to run that?
1: Definitely. Yeah. So Alpine, whatever. I always program in OS, so whatever you need.
0: Got it. So literally, they open up this Docker. I'm assuming they would have to have Docker installed. They open up this Docker package, and the app is there.
1: Yep, exactly. Everything they need to work on is there.
0: Mm, that's interesting. What about Nagios? And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right.
1: No, you're saying it right. So Nagios is Continuous Monitoring. Nagios is a big one. Grafana is another big one. And that's what we talked about earlier, about how you could set Nagios up to monitor certain portions of your applications. I personally always like prefer monitoring my APIs, and they'll alert you or whoever whenever there's anything something that needs you to react on
0: i see yeah that makes a lot of sense so to recap jenkins allows us to basically write that CI/CD pipeline selenium mm-hmm. creates all the or runs all the tests docker we can package everything that is required and then we can share that package so other developers can work on it and then nausea is first continuous monitoring that's correct any other tools that we're missing that people should be aware of?
1: Let's see. we talked about Terraform already. We talked about AWS, Kubernetes. Okay, tell us about that. Kubernetes. So Docker, it's pretty much like Docker's bigger brother. So Docker, Docker's containerization, but what Kubernetes does is it takes it to the next level. It's clustering of containerization. So now you could do a whole cluster of multiple containers at once. It's absolutely amazing. So then you could have you could create environments where you have all your containers with all those microservices and control them all to deploy your final application.
0: I see. So for example, your app could be made up of 20 or 30 microservices. Each of those microservices are dockers. Mm -hmm. And then the dockers are all contained in a Kubernetes.
1: Exactly. And that's how you deploy.
0: Wow. Wow. This is uh, crazy stuff. I'm learning so much today from you. Any other tools that we should be aware of?
1: Let me think from the top of my head. Those are the big ones I interface with every day.
0: I see. Cool. If somebody wants to get into DevOps, I mean, you of all people would be able to give them a great tip. What would that tip be? What do they need to really do? What's the mindset they need to have?
1: The biggest thing that separates, like a you know, your your developer and a DevOps engineer, is that the, a DevOps person has to love collaboration because that's. Literally our job description is that we're there to work with the entire team and to get code from concept to dollars as fast as possible. So that's my biggest recommendation is go, you know, like contribute to GitHub projects and do all that stuff, but like love the process and love working with these people and think of them as your friends.
0: Yeah, totally. That's great. I mean, I love that tip because ultimately at the end of the day, even developers have to have that mentality as well. Vic, this has been extremely educational for me. I personally learned a lot. So thank you for clearing up so much for me and for our audience. I really appreciate it.
1: No problem. And thank you for inviting me on the show. Any chance to talk with you, you know, I'm already there.
0: I love having you with you. And and people don't know, but we always try to meet at a Korean restaurant that we go to. Unfortunately, it's closed because of COVID. So we'll have to do that soon again.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I'll be there.
0: As soon as it reopens. If people want to get a hold of you, what should they do?
1: You could hit me up on Instagram. It's at VicFanDevOps. Send me any questions you have. I would love to help out.
0: Awesome. We'll put that on our show notes. So Vic, thank you so much. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you're here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.headlesscreator.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm your host, Marcella Lewin. Cheers, everyone.